Welcome to the Hello First Name Podcast. The Hello First Name Podcast revolves around the term personalization and is brought to you by marketing author Rasmus Holin, founder of Omnichannel Institute and chief experience officer at the marketing automation software company Agilic. The podcast is based on the book Hello First Name. Each episode is based in turn on a chapter from the book, followed by a discussion of the very same chapter with an expert marketing practitioner in the following episode. As always, you can buy the book on Amazon or other bookstores. You can also choose to listen to it all for free on your favorite podcast service. You're also very welcome to download the abstract of the book for free, and all models, of course, are able to download. All downloads are sponsored by Agilic. I'll make sure to put a link to everything in the show notes. But you can always connect on LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to reply and help out. Hmm. This episode was supposed to be a discussion of Chapter 6, the bowtie of personalization. However, a disturbance in the force has meant that we're switching things up a bit. So instead of a discussion, I hereby give you... Chapter 7. Insights Part 1. Segments. How could we make our colleagues better understand that our customers have such different needs? François-Yves ponders to himself. François-Yves works as Director of Marketing and Customer Strategy at the Canadian banking group Deschardins. Lately, he's been very occupied with the narrative power of personas and how these are built from customer segments. Personas are fictional characters who embody the central needs, desires and traits of an organization's customers. Communicated through narratives, they make it easier for anyone to put their own bias aside and put themselves in the place of these people. Deschardins has more than 7 million clients and offers services within personal banking, insurance and wealth management. So, where to start? Being a bank, it has been gathering customer data on both a profile and a behavioral level since day one. To understand its customers better, it has been doing deep work with data analytics to define the most significant segments within its customer database and how they are using the bank and its services. Deschardins now has a clear image of when clients generally buy their first car and their first home, when they become parents for the first time and what that means for how they do business with the bank. They know how divorce or losing a family member can change people's lives and what this means for the bank too. After combining this information with qualitative data from countless interviews, Deschardins is now at a place where it has better customer insight than ever. François-Yves knows that this insight will be a very valuable tool in the future. It will be useful not only in designing services, but also in the way the bank designs campaign messaging. It will also make a substantial change to how Deschardins prioritizes its media spending. This will ultimately save large amounts of cash, as well as increasing the odds of new clients ultimately becoming satisfied and profitable customers. Today is a good day, François-Yves reflects. The above narrative is a fictionalized account that captures the essence of how Deschardins works with segments. Segments make up the top corner of the insights part of the bowtie of personalization. Note that when we refer to segments in this book, we implicitly mean customer segments. As we touched upon in Chapter 3, segmentation is something you do to your customer database. The point is to divide it into smaller segments to enable you to manage more homogeneous groups of customers who will respond qualitatively differently from other segments to the content you choose to show them. How are segments built? Customer segments are fairly static groups of customers. Of course, people can change segments and even belong to multiple segments at the same time, so this is not an absolute truth. For example, the moment a child is born, or even the moment when a pregnancy test comes out positive, a person moves from one segment to another. As we shall discuss further in Chapter 10, this is referred to as a moment of truth. 
Customer segments can be built using anonymous market insights. This is the method that strategic planners in advertising agencies tend to use. However, segments can also be built using advanced analytical models based on actual customer data. The most classic marketing segments are often based on demographic information. If a customer has a specific gender, marital status, age and kids, and lives in a certain neighborhood, then they will most likely have more in common with people who share these characteristics than with other customers. Hence, these people can be treated somewhat similarly when it comes to marketing, messaging and campaigns. However, this is not to say that this is necessarily exact knowledge and that it always applies. Keep in mind that segmentation on probabilistic, statistical or even simple profile data is a very rough way of putting people in buckets and will not take into account any individual variations from the norm, which there certainly will be. So don't get too confident in your creative messaging when you address people from just one segment. Even if you do happen to have rather elaborate customer data, you still don't know who each individual is as a person and what's going on in their life, thus how they will react to your message. Use segments to get it less wrong. Think back to the distinction between implicit and explicit personalization in chapter 3. It is extremely important that if you are very explicit in addressing a certain circumstance a customer need, then this should be based on deterministic data, namely data that has very little ambiguity and error margin, and that you know belongs specifically to this very individual. Did they explicitly tell you that they were going through a divorce? If not, then tread carefully. On the other hand, you might have to find a customer segment on deterministic data. For example, a customer having bought a specific car from your company. In this case, using this non-sensitive information explicitly will work better than addressing it implicitly. Segments based on deterministic data plus sensitive topic equals that you should communicate cautiously. If you have a segment based on deterministic data and a non-sensitive topic, means you can communicate cautiously. Segment based on probabilistic data plus a non-sensitive topic communicate implicitly. Segment based on probabilistic data plus a sensitive topic communicate implicitly. Turning segments into personas. As in the Deschardins example, customer segments can be used to create more lively personas that people in your organization can relate to. This can make team members better at designing services and customer communications without being too biased and unknowingly designing for themselves instead. Within personalization, personas can certainly help as a kind of creative brief for putting together content with appropriate messaging, tone of voice, images, video, suggested products, and so on. When configuring marketing technology such as a CRM system or a marketing automation platform, however, there is more focus on the underlying criteria for when customers are considered to belong to a specific segment. Methods of segmentation. Some of the most classic data used for segmentation is, of course, gender, age, and family patterns. There are many nuances to how gender is captured and interpreted, of course. However, people who identify as women and are of a particular age tend to be interested in different things than are people who identify as men of another age. And if they tell you that they have kids, then suddenly a whole new set of messages and offers could become relevant. Geographical location is naturally also a relevant data point, especially if your services vary based on place. Often this is referred to as localization. Advanced segmentation, behavioral clusters. A very advanced way of working with segmentation is to have algorithms put together behavioral clusters dynamically. Within retail, this typically translates to people who buy certain products. However, it could also mean people who watch certain shows, as in Netflix, people who listen to these artists, Spotify, or people 
who read certain articles, as on FG.com. These segments are rarely used manually or creatively, as they are built dynamically, and even the number of desired segments can be dynamic. If, however, you took a manual look at the top five behavioral clusters in your company, there would be a fair chance that you'd be able to recognize those types of customer and relate to who they are. And the outputs of algorithmic segmentation could even serve as inputs to the segments you choose to work with when your team is putting together creative messaging. In the case of Spotify and Netflix, these segments are put to use dynamically as the company's content libraries are so immense and multifaceted. More on this when we cover the content feeds corner of the bow tie of personalization in chapter 12. Value-based segmentation. Value-based segmentation entails dividing a customer database into segments based on how much money they currently spend with you or their potential, e.g. how much money you predict they will spend with you. Customers can be divided into value-based segments in many different ways. The most common split is probably into low spenders, medium spenders and big spenders. However, there is no universal definition of, for example, what a big spender is. So it is entirely up to you and your data analytics team to decide how you set the definitions. Data visualization can help greatly when determining how to define your segments and where to put the divisions. If, for instance, a visualization shows that there's a significant cluster of customers who spent between 800 and 1,000 euro per year with your business, another cluster of customers who spent between 200 and 400 euros, and almost no customers in between, then perhaps one of the criteria for determining a big spender could be set to having a spend of 800 euros plus and not, for example, 350 euros. Another common value-based method of segmentation within transactional companies, such as retailers and travel agencies, is RFM segmentation. RFM stands for Recency, Frequency and Monetary Value. A high score in recency would indicate that this customer segment has recently been shopping with you. A high score in frequency would indicate that they shop with you often. And a high monetary value would mean that they have spent a large sum with you, just like the big spenders. A customer segment with a low recency score would make a good target for a win-back or a we-miss-you campaign, or even an automated flow. A segment consisting of customers with high frequency but low monetary value would make a good target for campaigns or flows aiming to increase customer lifetime value through cross-sales and or aiming to drive customers' preference to products with a higher margin. Bear in mind that, in general, it is easier to get customers to come back and buy more of the same than it is to make them buy something completely different from what they normally do. Omnichannel retailers often divide customers into segments based on their shopping channel preferences, online, in-store only, and omnichannel. It is not uncommon to see a strong correlation between higher spend and an omnichannel shopping pattern. In terms of reporting, it is best practice to track how the size of these segments based on shopping channel behavior evolve over time. In terms of how you use this information, you might not start by looking at relative segment values. For example, an omnichannel customer might be worth 40% more than the average single-channel customer, with single-purchase customers not taking into account. You might then look to increase the number of your omnichannel customers, for example, through targeted campaigns that offer channel-specific vouchers to single-channel shoppers for use in the channels they currently don't shop through. Using value-based segments to optimize paid media spend. Most advertising platforms, including Google and Facebook, offer the opportunity to map your existing segments onto corresponding audiences. So, apart from the value of using value-based segments in your reporting, they are also good for deciding which channels to use when you want your message to get attention. Obviously, you should consider the price per contact, and thus you will most likely prioritize owned media over paid media. See Chapter 6. 
First of all, if you can't get your message through and get the desired effect by sending emails and notifications alone, why bother exposing people to paid adverts? And for the customers who still haven't taken the desired action, consider showing ads only to segments with large potential, and be especially careful of using expensive telemarketing or direct mail. Once you have decided which of your segments are high potential and thus worth exposing to ads, you should also consider using the similar audiences in Google or lookalike audiences in Facebook tools. The goal is for the advertising platform's algorithm to find so-called behavioral twins of the segments that you are considering turning into paid media audiences. If you have good and plentiful first-party data, there is a high chance that these behavioral twin audiences will become better customers in the future than the average new customer. It should be pretty obvious from the above that segments can and should mean a lot when you are deciding on your creative messages, especially for campaigns. In the next chapter, we'll explore these messages more closely. Thank you for listening in on this episode of Hello First Name. Remember that all models and even a written abstract of the book are available for download. You'll find the link in the show notes.